So before we begin, I want to quote someone, Brandon Braga specifically, if that's okay with you guys. Now, I have spoken about, and indeed against, the Thread of the Week concept since the Voyager days. That is to say, I've been saying this for uh, years at this point. There's a hole in my book. Anyways, <clears throat> so this episode has a very distinct A plot, B plot. The primary plot is obviously the one about Worf and Alexander. Then there's the Soliton Wave plot. So let, me, let me read this really quick, then I'll get to my actual notes. We got a lot of negative response to the episode, recalls Brennan Braga. Ron, referring to Ronald D. Moore, did as good a job as anyone could have done. I liked the relationship that was developed between father and son, and I think that's an episode where you can complain it's getting to be like a soap opera on the ship. Perhaps because the B story was just that, a B story with the Soliton Wave. There's a feeling you need the Jeopardy story, and it's something Mike Piller advocates, and I think he's right. You need something to drive the story forward. But our best episode successfully integrated the, the two. Darmok had an E-B-A-B story, but they were vital to each other, not only in terms of plot, but in themes as well, which is why the show worked out. A show where it didn't work out was in theory. I just wanted to see more of the data arc. I didn't want to see the other arc at all. It was interesting with the woman through the floor, with nice imagery, but that's it. You really want to go back to the other thing. Then there are shows with only one plot. And then it cuts off for some reason. It goes to Berman, who talks about the A-B story thing, too. Now I feel like I've said my own opinion on this to death. I think the A-B story thing is fine if it's done well, or if it's not mandatory. It was considered mandatory in this episode. They had to have a threat of the week plot. I, I've, I've given my opinion on that so many times I can't even put it into words. So all I have to say here very simply and bluntly is if this episode, this, this specific episode in this specific circumstance, ejected the Soliton Wave plot, would it have changed your opinion of the episode? Better, worse, or in any, any particular direction? So I'm going to talk about the Soliton Wave first because I have exactly three notes about it because there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> like, okay, I don't want to pick this up because then I have to put it down and the mic might pick it up. But if you picture my notes here, these are my notes on the Soliton Wave. These are my notes on the Alexander plot. Anyways, so the wave is like, yes, this will be a new era forward in, in everything. It'll be amazing. Warp drives will be obsolete, except for the fact that the way it works is you have to get the ship very precisely positioned and then very precisely aim it because you're shooting someone through warp speed. You remember the episode um, where no one has gone before? I made a point, and even my math was actually off on this, I made a point of pointing out that if you were to, when you go really, really, really long distances, is if you were off by a single degree or a fraction of a degree, the distance between where you're going and where you want to go is enormous. So if you want to go to a place at warp, you have to be really, really precise with that. That's problem one. Considering that this also requires a planet to launch you and a planet to receive you, that's problem two. I'll talk about that actually in a second because there's something to discuss there. Then there's the fact that they all say how it's super energy efficient. Not faster, not better, just energy efficient. You know, we, have to, we don't have to have bulky warp drives anymore. Well, all I'm seeing is that this is a, this is kind of like whether you want to drive a truck or a car. Like there's no actual functional difference between the two in terms of the practical application, other than the fact that, you know, we have the lane limitation here, which again I'll talk about in a second. There's also the fact that the acetone wave 
or the soliton wave, excuse me, puts off so much dis difficulty and, and, and uh, I forget what they call it, interferometrics, that's not what it is, but the, it puts off something that makes long-range communication difficult unless you're out of a certain range of it, which means if you're in the wave, you can't communicate normally. Then they say it's super efficient by a factor of like 450%, which is just so many bullcraps, I'm not going to cover that, so let's just move on from that. Um, yeah, I don't buy it. This is stupid. That being said, you know how it could have worked? Because I never like to just say this is dumb without saying how I think it could have been done better. Here's how I would have done it. When it comes to science fiction, there are three broad categories of transportation, specifically fast and light transportation. There's your typical warp, there's your lanes, and there's your portals. Warp is very obvious. You go, and you warp to a destination at faster than light. Warp drive is like that. Hyperspace is like that. Um, the ships in, in Mass Effect have a, have a form of FTL drive as well, which I can't remember what they properly call it. But, you know, that's just typical. You fire up the engine, you go here to there. Now, the usual downsides of this are portrayed as it's not super fast, because you can only go so fast, but it is extremely precise. You know, you have the warp drive on your ship, and you can just go directly where you want to. Then there's lane travel. Now, lane travel is a little bit trickier because not a lot of science fiction uses lane travel. Usually, lane travel is done alongside FTL. I will go back to Mass Effect, for example, because the mass relays are an excellent example of lane travel. Lane travel is exactly what it sounds like. It's the train, to, to parallel this. If, if, if the warp drive is you walking or you being on a bicycle or whatever, the train and going much faster and much longer distance would be the lane travel. It's a very specific point A to point B kind of a thing. You can't deviate, you can't just pop out of it or whatever, so you're stuck with the ride all the way there, but it's usually much faster or easier to do or cheaper or whatever. A Battletech also uses a form of uh, lane travel when it comes to how they get between stars. To name another example of this. Now, then there's also portal travel, which I'm going to cover in brief because that's very obvious. You I'll go in a portal and you exit a portal. A Stargate does this, anything with a wormhole does this, that kind of a thing. Now, I bring up the lane travel thing because most science fiction usually uses lane as the big transit. You know, you've got your normal transit, again, Mass Effect, you've got your normal transit, but that's good from getting system to system or within a specific sector. But if you were to just go from this part of the galaxy to this part of the galaxy in standard FTL, it would take forever. Or you can use the lane, which is just going to warp you right down there, more or less instantaneously. Or That's how I think this could have worked better. Make it so that this is basically them trying to establish a series of lanes within space. And these lanes would then be very precisely calibrated and aimed to shoot either uh, mass transit, like cargo vessels or stuff like that, or just ships in general who are trying to get from point A to point B much quicker than they otherwise would, and much easier and much cheaper. Thus making this not so much as a way to make it so we don't need warp drive anymore, but to offer an alternative to the standard warp drive model. I think that would have worked more interestingly, other than the, the way it was presented it is. Um, that being said, I, I have to comment on one last thing before I move on. Jordy makes a comment about it's like being there when Cochrane broke the warp barrier. It's funny he says that considering he is there when Cochrane does that. <laughs> Anyways, now let's get to the main plot. First of all, I wanted, I, I, I'm actually sad. So Georgia Brown plays Eleanor Rozhenko. Worf's mother. And she is awesome as always, and she died the very next year after this episode came out. 
that sucks. I don't have anything else to add to that. I just wanted to point it out because I was I was looking into info on her and what other roles she'd done, and I noticed that little tidbit, and I was just like, oh my gosh. It's even worse because in the episode, Worf says, you know, you have many years left ahead of you, and she says, oh, we're not dying anytime soon. That just, ah, that, yeah. Um, there is some really good, honest warmth and chemistry between Worf and, and Miss Rajenko. There really is. Uh, he obviously is still, you know, but... He lets the mask down a lot more around her than he did previously. In fact, it I like this because, again, this shows character growth. This shows that the interactions between him and them during family, really, he's taken those to heart effectively, that he doesn't have to keep them distance. Now, granted, the discommendation is literally gone, so that might be a part of it, too. But either way, it is nice to see him love his mother and his mother love him. Like I said, it's just good, good character interaction. Nothing more to add there. She mentions that she's getting old. I'm going to get personal here for a second. Is that cool? A little while ago, actually several times in my life, I have been the full-time caretaker for my niece. And when I say full-time, I mean full-time. I am the one taking care of her day in, day out. At night, she needs something. I'm there making sure she gets her meals, making sure she gets her medicine. She gets exercise. She gets her assignments done. You know, basically functionally being her parent. I've only done that for brief periods of time at a time, but each time it has absolutely destroyed me. I'm not even that old. I'm certainly not as old as Miss, uh, Miss Helena Rojenko is supposed to be, and yet I understand fully what she says, that energy problem. At a certain point, you just stop having the ability to keep up, you know? And that's actually a horrible feeling. I'm not saying that as an excuse. Quite the contrary. I hate it. Um, I, I hate being tired by midday. I hate being like, I, I need to lay down for a bit, kiddo. Please, please watch this or whatever. You know, do your homework while I, while I take a nap because I, I can't keep up with you anymore. I hate that. And, and the reason I bring this up in such a personal way to you guys is because the biggest feeling I felt from that was guilt, was regret, that I, that I couldn't be a proper caretaker for her, that she deserved, that she, that, she, that she should have, just because I simply didn't have the energy. And that's relevant to the episode, I think, because that's exactly the same vibe I get from her and her portrayal. You know, obviously, she flat out says, you know, we, we just can't keep up anymore. But there's no selfishness in her tone there. There's no, oh, we just want to be single again. No, no, it's very clearly, we can't be the parents we want to be for him, just like I couldn't be. Um, and, and they want better for Alexander. That's why they brought him here to Worf. It's, it's a very nice, very quiet, personal touch, and it kind of helps to sell why Worf decides to accept this. Which brings me to the second personal thing I want to share with you guys. When I got to take care of her for the first time, this is years ago at this point, my first thought was, I'm actually ashamed to admit this, I was resentful. Because I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to take time out from you know the things I want to do and the life I want to lead to go take care of this kid. Now, that was my initial feeling. That resentment went away almost immediately. You know, Actually experiencing that personally was something that was above and beyond anything that I had any capacity for understanding at that point. I had no... Um, perspective up until then. As I said later, you know, it, it was one of the most amazing mo uh, times of my life, those first few months when I took care of her full-time. You know, very tiring, obviously, very very tasking, but I, w I wouldn't take it back for anything. And I bring that up because, once again, Worf kind of gets that across in this episode. We see the presentation of someone who doesn't want to interfere with his life for the sake of his child, and yet, over the course of the episode, slowly, completely reverses his mentality on that. All resentment is gone by the end of the episode. Instead, we just see a man who loves his son. 
And I thought that was just a great little character arc. And it's very well portrayed. Of course, Michael Dorn is a good actor, but he's usually not given a lot of really deep character stuff to do. So it was nice to see him pulling across this arc throughout this episode. There's a lot of little good moments here. Uh, Brian Von Sol actually plays Alexander here, and in the next, I guess, six times he'll be showing up throughout the rest of TNG. So he'll be a semi-recurring character, kind of like uh, Ensign Rolaren is. But uh, he does a good job with the role. He apparently was very intimidated to go on set, and that's understandable because Michael Dorn is Michael Dorn. <laughs> he is a very large, bassy, deep-sounding person. But apparently Dorn was also really good with the kid, the actual actor, and reached out to him and tried to work with him, and that ended up helping the overall performance. And I think it, I think it shows, personally. So then there's this bit where Worf tries to enroll him into school. And the teacher says, what's his birthday? And Worf just stalls. It's a great moment, because Worf doesn't know his birthday. He hasn't been keeping up on that kind of thing, and he wasn't even aware of it when it happened. So there's just this moment of... Uh, um... <laughs> I also kind of like, as just a quiet little thing, that Alexander gives his birthday by two different calendars. Just a nice little touch there. So... There's a great scene, I kind of already mentioned this, there's a great scene where Worf goes to Picard, and Picard's waiting impatiently. And Worf's like, I'm sorry, I was enrolling my son in school. So, and then he gets interrupted, I'm sorry, later. And then he gets interrupted, I'm sorry, later. And he's just getting more and more upset. And by this point, Picard's like, okay, look, <laughs> you're not the first new parent. Go take care of your son, this can wait. I like to think, especially on more long-term ships like this, and especially at this era, that there's basically a built-in policy of pulling back on the reins, so to speak, when it comes to Starfleet officers and who have just had children. You know, it's like, okay, for whatever reason, they need more time to take care of their kid, and so their duties get pulled back in terms of severity and how many hours they work effectively. Not quite uh, paternal-slash-maternal leave, but something still in that direction. Just a little thought that occurred to me. And the fact that Picard is so understanding here makes me think that he's given this particular speech several times before. Then, then Troy talks to him. What I love about that is Troy is actually really excited about this whole thing. I like that because I get the impression that Troy and Worf haven't really had any given reason to connect up until now. Worf doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would go to Troy for anything. In point and fact, actually, to date, I can only think of one significant scene between Worf and Troy during, um, oh, what's the name of that episode? Night Terrors when Worf almost committed suicide and Troy was the one who reached out to him and convinced him not to, which was actually a really good scene, I might add. And so I just like the idea that Troy finally has one thing in common with Worf and is just kind of like, yes, I can finally be more of a friend with this person. You could argue whether or not this has any romantic connotations given what ended up happening in Season 7, but regardless, I do think it's a nice touch, especially since Troy ends up being a fairly significant character throughout this arc. So then Alexander steals and then lies about it. What I love best, and this is actually very well written, most writers don't know how to write children. I've talked about this before. Uh, most writers write children as, as small adults. In other words, not how a child thinks. Alexander instead comes across perfectly childish, as he should. He is someone who is, the proper term is usually acting out, which means they don't really know why or where. They haven't really put a lot of thought into their decisions or their actions because that's not how they work. Most people, by the time they're an adult, usually put a lot of time and effort into thinking how they're going to respond to things. 
not always true, of course, hence the term, the, the, the childish man-baby kind of a thing or whatever. Actually, maybe that's not what that refers to. It just occurred to me. I shouldn't say that. But, you know, seeing someone who acts childish who is in their 30s, for example. But here we see him basically acting out because he has actual legitimate emotional turmoil in this matter. He is resentful. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do or how to do it. So he just does things. And there's a brilliant scene where Worf says, why did you do it? I don't know. Why did you lie about it? I don't know. And both of those are very honest answers, because he doesn't. Again, even as an adult, I bet there are some things in your life where if you sat down and thought, why did I do that, you couldn't come up with a legitimate answer. Right? Now, sometimes that happens in our moments of extreme duress. Uh, I, I refer to in the moment very often when it comes to you know, being able to do things that we otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't, things that are stupid or wrong or whatever, and we make a mistake in the moment. It's a very common thing in real life, and I tend to defend it when it's used properly when it comes to fiction. But the same thing applies to a kid all the more, because basically for an adult, a, a normal adult, you know, someone who was, was developed properly, in the moment, it's like here, and then here, and then here. But for a kid, instead of being this narrow band, it's this much larger thing. They're in the moment for a larger gradient because there's so much less capacity they have to deal with and, and, and comprehend their own emotions, especially complex emotions, especially on a, a Klingon, at least a most Klingon. I guess he would be like three-fourths Klingon, something like that. So he lies, and then Worf says, and I actually like the scene, Worf bothers to sit down and explain. I like that. It is, of course, silly that Worf would expect this to work, but that's just lack of experience. But he does take the effort to explain. This is purely an opinion, but I always dislike it when someone tells a child to obey, and the only reason given is that they must obey. I've never agreed with that. I always believe an explanation should be given. Why? So Worf sits and actually bothers to explain. You know, I, this is what honor is. This is what we are. This is how we are. When I was younger than you, and he gives his story about all he had left that made him cling on was his honor. This is where Ronald D. Moore really shows. Uh, Ronald D. Moore actually didn't write this script, but he was a heavy consultant on this one because it's a Klingon script. And he was involved in almost every stage of the production. And it shows. Once again, we see this mindset of, of the true Klingon, of, of the son of Moog effect, as Worf insists on, this is what makes me Klingon, even though it has nothing to do with being a Klingon, and he tries to impart this same value on his son. Then Troy points out, that's probably not going to work, <laughs> but I'll help if you want. Worf says, no need, I will deal with this myself. Now, I just want to make one more aside here. Please forgive me for keeping getting personal here, but there's this nice little bit where Alexander is on the holodeck fighting the same tr battle training program that Worf has shown uh, once back in the Nagilam episode. I never remember the name of that one. And once back in Emissary with Keeler. So we see Alexander is still doing the program. This actually program will be seen in DS9 as well. So it's obviously a favorite training slash practice program, just for fun, right? I like video games. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm actually very fond of, of video games. And one of the things I love to do is to try and share that love of video games with my niece. But what I like is when there's an option to basically set up the game in such a way that it's not going to destroy her for not having the skill or experience or, or reflexes to play it properly. Uh, to wit, Mario Kart 8 and its, uh, its ability to keep you on the road mode or its ability to keep you going mode, both of which are toggleable individually, so that she can sit down and enjoy the game. 
and it helps her to get used to the controls and feelings so eventually we can turn those modes off, which is what we ended up doing. I just wanted to relate that because I like that idea that the holodeck, which, let's be honest, is basically just the ultimate video game. I shouldn't say just, that's, that's so dismissive. Which is the ultimate video game, and that's awesome, is the kind of thing that should have that kind of casual difficulty mode. And things like this are exactly why I tend to be in favor of casual difficulty as a thing in most games, by the way. Because then Alexander can go on and fight the thing and have a little bit of an experience of, of what it is his dad likes and be involved in the experience. So then he, of course, tells Worf, you know, I'm doing this for you. I, 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 I'm trying to be a good warrior. That's exactly what you want from me, right? Well, the funny thing is, of course, the two of them yell back and forth because ultimately the whole point is that Alexander doesn't even know what his point is. Worf is approaching this very simply and logically, and Alexander is approaching this like an emotional child. And I know that sounds so simple and so dumb, but it's wonderful how they actually manage to portray that accurately and without making Alexander irritating. It is so easy to portray children as irritating uh, in real life, but also in fiction. And Alexander just comes across as lost and confused and emotional. So they, they yell back and forth, and then there's a very, very good scene between Troy and Worf where Troy basically talks Worf through this and is like, and, and tells him a lot of the things that I've already been telling you over the course of this very rumination, you know, the trained psychologist trying to explain to him how family works, how children work. She herself has been mentioned before to be trained specifically in family psychology, and thus the interactions between children and parents. And she also mentions that Worf himself has to get over some things. Are you not angry at Keeler for abandoning you? No, of course not. No, it doesn't. I'm not saying you hate her. I'm not saying you don't love her. But there's, there's got to be some anger there, right? And so Worf goes to reach out to Alexander and to talk to him about it. And Alexander, of course, says, you know, my mother wouldn't have sent me away, which is probably the first time where we've kind of cracked the outer edge to get to more of the core of what's going on with Alexander. And then the, the Soliton wave plot gets in the way of Worf resolving this. That being said, I asked you guys a question at the beginning of this rumination. I said, what do you think the removal of the Soliton wave plot would have done? There is only one thing it would have negatively impacted my opinion of this episode, and that's when Worf has to go and save Alexander. Because I like everything about that. Now, you could have just made that part of the background. Completely eject the Soliton wave thing. It's, it's the crisis of the week. We don't need to explain. It's, it's the Enterprise. Something's gone wrong. Radiation's going to flood the area, and we just got hit by a something. we got to go deal with this. That's all you had to do. Could have spent the entire rest of the episode focusing on Alexander and Worf. Now, the reason I'm still in favor of that is not because it's a threat of the week but because of the character interactions it develops. Because we see several things. First, Picard says, you know, permission to leave the bridge, go. And then Riker, without hesitation, is right there with Worf. That's a good moment. Where Riker's just like, I, I got your back. And then Worf and Riker go down to deal with this thing as quickly as they possibly can. I also like how Picard flat out gives them as much time as he can to the point of actually going over the timeline by a few seconds because of how much he wants to make sure that they have the time necessary to get out of there properly. And I like how everyone involved is completely understanding of the nature and the severity of the situation. But more than anything else, what I like most is Worf picking up that pillar. This is a thing that has been shown to happen in real life, that has been argued and debated of the nature of it for many years. I have my own theory on it, which is based on some actual scientific studies, but it is still a theory. The idea is that you have the ability to push your human body past the point where you should. 
you can do things with proper adrenaline, a proper thing. Basically, that your muscles, your literal physical capacity is, is capable of pushing your body past where you should, to the point where you are literally damaging it, right? You're, you're tearing ligaments, you're tearing muscles, you're breaking bone in, in the action of doing it. And I like the idea, because there are instances of people being able to do such significant feats in the moment. I love the idea of Worf seeing his son there, and his son just says simply and honestly, I am scared. And Worf doesn't, doesn't yell, or doesn't say be a Klingon, or any of the other things you might expect. All he does is lift that damn pillar. That moment got to me. Legit. The only thing that would have made it better is if in the sickbay later, Worf had like a, a thing on, like a, like a brace or whatever, showing you know, he is recovering from the damage he just did to himself to accomplish that feat. That's the only change I would have made. And then, of course, we have the denouement where... Denouement? Denouement? I can talk. We have the final part of the episode where Worf admits, you are in trouble, Alexander. You are. And I, I like that because he shouldn't be allowed to get away with this just because there was a crisis. But if you want... It is a <coughs> it's a challenge to go to Klingon school. But if you want an even greater challenge, you can try to stay here. And the implication is, of course, there that it'll be a greater challenge for Worf and Alexander both but maybe it'll be greater honor, too, the better result, putting it simply. Now, before I go any further, I'm basically done, but I wanted to mention something. By memory, I don't like most Alexander episodes, because most Alexander episodes, the writers themselves, they never know what to do with the character. He's just kind of there, and they, <laughs> they never really go anywhere with the character. Even Spoiler, even over on Deep Space Nine, when Alexander shows up, the whole, I want you to be a warrior, but I'm not a warrior thing, is still part of the character dynamic between the two. Like, they never moved past that initial point. But that being said, this is the Alexander episode I like, right here. I think this is good stuff. What do you guys think? Because we'll be seeing him several times in the future, like I said. Either way, I do hope you've enjoyed. I will see you guys next time.